Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your host, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week in preparation for Sabbath, December 24th, we look at Lesson 13, The Judging Process. Together, let's see why we find solstice in the judgment and not fear. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at Southwestern Adventist University. We love learning and sharing God's Word, and together we have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into this study. All right, here we are at Lesson 13, The Judging Process. And our uh, memory text is coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due uh, what, what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so this is all talking about uh, trying to culminate, excuse me, uh, everything that has happened with the judgment, prejudgment, uh, the executive judgment, all those things are being brought up here today, Michael. And I'm excited about it as I'm reading it, because I think there's some misnomers about the judgment and some fears. And hopefully we can alleviate some of those fears, but also we can, uh, it can also point us towards the right direction, which is perfect love casts out all fear, right? And so absolutely finding a relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing that is the safe haven, that is the ark of our salvation. And so Michael, talk to us about uh, the final judgment. Absolutely. You know, I, I know we've talked about this before, you know, judgment, it seems that often oftentimes that we're afraid of the judgment. I know right. that there was a time, Buster, when when I was afraid of the judgment, um, fearing end time events and whether I could somehow be perfect enough. And, and what I realized over time is that far too often that we're focused on ourselves. And there's two passages Ooh, here. There we go. Um, yeah, yeah. Two passages here that I think are really vital for us to understand. Um, and I, I don't have time to read them because they're quite lengthy, but I encourage our listeners to uh, take some time to listen uh, and, and, and read these passages of Scripture. The first one's from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And in my Bible, it's titled The Sheep and the Goats. This is a very familiar story. Jesus is reminding them. I think one of the key passages here is have the... Uh, someone that's hungry and needs clothing and right and asking that question you know and and then Jesus kind of brings the point home by asking you know when when did we do these things and in verse 38 or actually excuse me verse 40 uh the king in this story says uh truly I tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine you did for me in other words mm-hmm. um the way we treat one another, is really indicative of how we treat our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And right, right. and I think that's a, a big part of, of what, you know, sometimes we have these, these almost like a perspective that, you know, if if Jesus were in my midst, you know, I'd be really warm and inviting and and I would make sure that I, I took care of Jesus if he were to visit me. But but Jesus is saying it's not it's not just if I were to come see you, but but how do you tr- treat the people around you? Um, the least of these um, the, the 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 beggar, if you please, you know, and and so how we treat one another, how we live our lives every single day, our ordinary lives, how we drive on the road, right, right. <laughs> um, is probably the biggest uh, indicator of our spirituality, right? You know? And so I, it's out of the ordinary things is what I think Jesus is trying to say 
And then here's the second passage, uh, corollary passage, uh, John chapter 5, um, verses 21 to 29. And this one's a little bit of a different focus. <clears throat> it talks about um, the father judges no one, right. but has entrusted all judgment to the son. Yes, there you and go. So um, we have to remember who's doing the judging process, Buster. Yes, yes, um, yes. If, if I know that somebody cares about me, there's some kind of personal relationship, um, I'm going to feel a lot better about that than I would if it was just somebody that I don't know or somebody that doesn't like me. You know, I we can all think of some people in our lives that, you know, for whatever reason, they you, you just can kind of tell that they don't have your best interest at heart. <laughs> and, and then if you found out that that person, oh my goodness, is going to sentence you for something you did, maybe a speeding right. ticket or some traffic violation, you're like, man, they're going to hit me with the full, the full book, you know, but, but if I know that that person cares about me and I'm thinking my own grandfather, who was a, a, a judge, okay, district court judge. And, and I, you know, I remember as a child thinking, you know, um, and I wanted to see his courtroom and 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 stuff like that. That Wouldn't. if I, you know, I I'll, let's just say, Buster, I had a very different perspective mm-hmm. of what was going on in that courtroom. <laughs> see, my grandfather is the judge up behind with the gavel, than probably most of the other people in that room. I think so, just a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. And uh, because that relationship matters. And so uh, and, and I think that's important, not that he would ever, you, you know, you don't want to exploit that relationship. But but, you know, no matter what it was that that they they cared about you, they want to make sure that you were that you were OK. And if we understand that relational aspect of the judgment, Jesus isn't trying to keep us out of heaven, but rather he loves us, cares for us, is doing everything possible to get us into heaven, rather quite the quite, quite the opposite. So Jesus is our judge, but he's also our advocate. And, yes. and so both of these, um, you have an aspect of, yeah, I mean, there's going to be accountability. There will be judgment. There will be condemnation for those right, right. outside of the grace of Jesus Christ who have absolutely refused that. Um, and there will be an aspect of vindication in that. Um, the person in trial and the judgment isn't you and me, Buster, but it's right. really that God's on trial. Jesus Christ himself is on trial. And so um, he's passed on all judgment, uh, but but we're not the central focus. We're kind of peripheral to the whole thing because it's about the plan of salvation. I know that's kind of a long uh, reflection there on this, but, um, you know, we talk about the final judgment. But as Adventists, we have a concept about what happens right before that judgment takes place. Sometimes we call it the pre Advent judgment. Buster, help help us understand what that is. Yeah. And, you know, Michael, just to give the audience a little bit more reassurance. Um, recently, there was a, uh, I saw a news story coverage, uh, an officer by the name of Anthony Maldonado in New York uh, City. He uh-huh. delivered his fifth baby in five years, responding to 911 calls. And they call him the baby okay. whisperer, right? And the last baby he uh, delivered, it wasn't breathing when it was born. And so he yeah. instinctively turned it over, got a turkey baster and got the suction out his nose and smacked the baby and the baby coughed <clears throat> and breathed. And I, I think if, if my uh, recollection is correct, they named the baby after him and he's the baby's godfather, right? No way. <laughs> yes. And so everyone's like, oh, you know, like he's getting all this praise. He got a medal of honor, all these different things. But when that kid gets pulled over by 
Officer Maldonado. You, you know, regardless of what he's doing, he still might get a ticket, but he's not going to be afraid, right? Um, yeah. Sometimes in that presence, this cop who saved his life, who did everything for this kid, is going to do everything to make sure this kid feels safe and secure. And same thing with us, right? Even though we might do wrong, Christ has done everything to make sure that we feel safe and secure in him, but we have to entrust ourselves to him. And so this idea of the judgment, the final judgment, the pre-advent judgment, uh, Revelation 14, 6 and 7, I'm going to read that in your hearing because I don't think we as Adventists can hear it enough. And I think sometimes we forget it, right? Uh, This says, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. And so this is a reminder that there is this moment of judgment that's going to come up. And someone, someone asked when, when to start. I'm like, listen here, we we can go into everything. And uh, I would love to go into the 2300 day prophecy and, and, and share that with you. But the best thing to look at is the concepts behind it. And you can't run away from the concepts. Uh, in your lesson, Michael talks there about John chapter five, the book of condemnation and the book of of of, of life. Right? Uh, there is this judgment that's going to occur, and God's character is the main thing that's under attack. And at the end, all will say God is a just God. And I, I think it's so relieving to know that the one who's actually doing the judgment is the same one who died for us, is Christ. And so I I don't want the audience to once again <clears throat> get caught up in the minutia of when, how, where, but understanding the biggest thing we can do, the best thing we can do is making sure that we find ourselves in that relationship and understand that there is a judgment and and knowing my kids, Michael, your kids know what they do has consequences, whether good or bad. And that's yeah. a great understanding and a notion, right? It's it's not it's not something that I'm doing to uh, oppose fear and strike fear upon them. I want them to know as they grow up that there are their acts and their deeds, they follow them. And I want them to follow them well and not in a, in a bad way. Uh, and so this idea of the pre-advent judgment, the investigative judgment, once again, don't be afraid of it, <clears throat> but recognizing that there is a time element to it, right? There is a time where the judgment is up, and that's when we believe that Christ is going to come through the clouds of glory. And when he comes through the clouds of glory, there is no longer the time to repent. There's no longer the time to say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot everything, which is why God is telling us, do it now. Worship God now. Don't wait till you think uh, you're about to run out of time and live like the prodigal son. Do it now and live righteously for our our God. It's not not because of judgment's here, because our God is love and He's calling us and beckoning us to. And so, so I I got a little Adventist history trivia for you, Buster. Go ahead. <laughs> so the the person that came up with the term, the term that we probably use the most often in in Adventist uh, parlance, is investigative judgment. Right. Investigative judgment. And the person that coined that term. Uh, is a, a guy by the name of Elon Everts, who's an early Adventist uh, pastor, elder, evangelist, and uh, he was a farmer. And very, very interesting. In fact, he I found this quote. He, he, this is where he's trying to articulate this terminology for the for the first time. He said, "I solemnly believe that the judgment—that's where we're talking about this 
um, has been going on in the heavenly sanctuary since 1844, and that upon the righteous dead, judgment has been passing. In other words, Jesus is working in this process as our high priest in heaven, preparing for the second advent of Christ and, and accountability. So he describes this and he's connecting these ideas, Revelation 13, Isaiah 46. And, and so he's he's arguing that it's important for us to share what we believe so that, right. that other people can know Jesus and be ready as well. And, and interestingly enough, <clears throat> Elon Everts is a little bit infamous in Adventist history too, oh. um, not only for coining the term, but but he and his wife uh, Anna Maria uh, were <clears throat> we call them the the uh, actually not me but James White called them the Adventist uh, referring to the Ananias and Sapphira who held back from the Lord. Oh yeah, that they were very wealthy Adventists and they kept clinging on the term that they like to use was Mammon. You know they like uh, to hold on to their onto their wealth and everything else. And when God was calling them to go and give all that they had to go and preach, they kept holding back because they wanted to make more money, make more money. And um, and, and tragically, tragically, uh, both of them died very early deaths. And um, James and, and as well as Ellen White saw that as sort of, um, you know, God had given them many opportunities, but in, and obviously they understood some of the key ideas in Adventist theology and contributed to them. And yet, uh, tragically, tragically, that they um, did not fully devote themselves to the movement that that they uh, were a part of and, and kind of resisted the Holy Spirit, that same kind of thing. So they saw sort of an Adventist version of this biblical uh, story in the New Testament that was supposed to be for edification and warning. And, and they saw the same kind wow. of thing. So just a little bit of Adventist wow. history trivia. I had to throw that in there, Buster. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Michael. Um... I think I remember you sharing that in the office before and like, it's just, it's just amazing when it comes back and the relevancy the past still has for us today. Right. Well, I re I remember actually Buster, I wrote this article on Elon Everts and I was trying to find it, trying to find it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we're, we're meeting and I forgot that I wrote it. <laughs> you Googled it. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. <laughs> I found it. I was like, Michael, he's like, I, I know there's an article out there. I was like, Michael, I, I think I found it. I think you wrote it. I did. <laughs> That's how you know that you've written many, many, many articles. <laughs> well, if you start forgetting what you wrote, then you're in trouble. But, yes. Oh, my goodness. So, Well, let's talk about the millennial judgment. Yes, uh, I was just about to say that. So the millennium takes place. Jesus, uh, the second advent of Christ occurs. And during the millennium, there's further opportunity for reflection, for accountability, right? So 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, verses 2 and 3 uh, talks about this. Um, or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge right. the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? And do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life. And so this is a reminder um, that, that we will um, have an opportunity to, to look back. And Revelation chapter 20 uh, talks about the same thing, right? Verses four through six talks about, um, I saw on the thrones, uh, those who are seated, been given authority to judge. Well, who is that? Well, that's that's the saints. That's God's people right. that are there. And, and then um, verses 11 through 15 talks about Verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Think about that. I mean, that's everybody. That, that's Napoleon. That's the 
um, ordinary person that nobody's ever heard of, uh, one of those serfs or peasants during the Middle Ages who's, you know, every everybody, right, <clears throat> says, and the books were opened. So the books of everyone's life, their accountability, um, it's called the book of life, right? right. Um, everyone <clears throat> is held accountable according to their life, what they have done. In millennium, there's a thousand years. So Buster, you and I have the chance, by God's grace, if Amen. we're there, by God's grace, um, but that's that's my hope, right? That's my uh, that's that, my plan and my trust yeah, in the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord. Um, but but if if we get to heaven and and say there's somebody that we kind of thought should be there, and we're like kind of, no, God was got a little hard on them, you know what what kind of happened there? We're going to have a thousand years to kind of check that out. Like you know, did did everything God could have been done done? I mean, obviously they have their free will, free choice, but you have that chance to kind of hit the rewind button and kind of check and see what exactly happened, what happened. And so I think that's an important part of this whole, um, that whole process. And so we have, it's kind of a scary prospect, but it's also, I think, um, a part of that free will that God extends, that God doesn't force anyone. So it's kind of one, one last chance to check the books, you know, kind of peer review. Uh, and I say peer review because, you know, we've both been involved in universities for, for quite some time. Yes. And, um, you know, the when you do an academic article, difference between an academic article in addition to doing the research. But usually it's you send it to some experts and, and usually they don't know who wrote the article. We call that a blind peer review. And, and that's kind of this is God's blind peer review process. I, I, I say this not to. Um, you know, but I'm kind of a little bit excited because for the last five years, Buster, you know about this, but we've been working on an Oxford handbook of Seventh-day Adventism. Yes, it's sir. It's taken a lot longer than we thought, you know, probably an extra two years. Well, thanks to COVID, too. Uh, but part of the reason it took as long as it did to do a major reference work, and this will be our first major reference work about Adventism by an academic press outside of Adventism. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's five years of work. But the reason it just can't instantly, you don't sit down and write it. You have to, you do this peer review process. So we send it to people, the best experts, Adventists, not Adventist scholars, and then they read it. They don't know who the author is. And then they say, hey, is this actually good? Is this the best that it really can be? Are there pieces that are missing? And some of the chapters, we had to reject them and say, no, yeah. it's, it can't be it's part not, of this project. It's not the best um, it could have Yeah. And so I'm just trying to explain it from an academic standpoint, you know, you know, that publication when it's done is going to be more valuable because we took the time for that accountability. Now, this obviously pales in comparison to the judgment in the millennium (laughs) for the thousand years when people's eternal lives are at stake, right? Their, their eternal destinies, but, but it, it shows the same value that, that we value more of the things when, when people take the time to do peer review, this is God's peer review process um, in the scope of, of of eternity, God says, "Hey, you know, check it out. You know, you you can check everything out and make sure that everything is above board and kosher." And right. and then finally, after the millennial judgment, there's an executive judgment. Buster, what right? What in the world is this now? 
So second Peter three, 10 through 13, I think explains it wonderfully. Uh, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for the and hastening the coming of the day of God? which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Michael, this is talking about uh, the actual second coming of Jesus, right? And it's uh, talking about how it's going to be carried out. All the plans and everything else are carried out. And here are the righteous are taken up, but everything else left behind, right? It's, it's, it's burned. And then we have, uh, you're going to be talking about it here in just a second, or you just talked about it, the millennium. And during that time, uh, the earth is desolate, right? There's nothing there. Right. And yeah. that is the millennial judgment that's taking, but but there's this executive thing that takes place. And and, and so once again, this is not to, to bring fear. This is, this is matter of fact. This is what the Bible's telling us what's going to happen. It's telling us to choose to stay whom we're going to serve. Uh, whether we're going to believe or not believe, but it's still going to come to fruition, whether we believe or not. And so once again, let's choose the correct thing, which is choosing Christ and his side. And so, Michael, this brings us to our final uh, lesson for this week as Thursday's lesson, the second death. Yeah. So again, this was, you know, the, this whole thing of the second death, uh, you know, because all of us die the first death, which is what happens if, if right. we're not alive when when Jesus comes. All of us face our own mortality. The second death death is is something a little bit different in that the finality of it is that when people are finally at the end of that executive judgment, the end of millennium, Jesus makes this earth new again, and then there's this kind of final moment, right? This final moment, right. and then the wicked are. Uh, perish and and that's the second death and 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 this is where I think there's a lot of misunderstanding because it talks about a lake of fire and, and the second death this kind of thing um, some people have posited well that means they're going to just kind of burn and for all eternity uh, but that just doesn't sound like a very loving God you know whatever yeah. finite amount of time say you live a hundred years no matter how bad you are uh, and and there certainly are candidates out there for having lived very bad lives. <laughs> <laughs> Look into history for that, right? Yes. Um, but but no matter how how bad you are, it doesn't equal burning in hellfire for eternity. That just seems very uh, harsh, and um, and I, I think this is where um, an understanding based on these texts in Malachi and Revelation, um, where it's talking about this that that if we understand our own mortality and Jesus resurrecting us at at the second advent and and how we understand all of that, uh, really what the Bible's talking about isn't, isn't some kind of punishment that's ongoing, but rather the finality of that punishment, right? This is once and for all. People have been given right. every opportunity, um, all judgment, everything's been checked, double-checked, triple-checked, and now we have the final result. And the wicked who are destroyed, they are destroyed forever. That is the second death that happens. Um, nobody wants that. God certainly doesn't want it. But no. but then there is no other alternative. And and you know if you think about it, those people that have chosen um, sin or wickedness or whatever you want to call it, um, would they really be happy, Buster, in heaven? They would be miserable. Yeah. It would be just absolutely miserable. It would be torture. 
which is which is um, why we so, use this term ceiling, right? Like it's yeah. not like God clicks his button that makes us joyful and happy to be there. It's it's God's mercy. Yeah, and he seals our character. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, that that's that's it. It's it's final. Um, the decision is irrevocable, not because so much of God, but because people have chosen their destiny. They've yeah, chosen right. their destiny. Freedom of choice. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, gift, but it's also can be a horrible curse. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I don't always take the time to do this, but I think the Ellen White's uh, comment here at the very end from Desire of Ages um, is quite telling. I, I just want to read it because I think it's so poignant to sure, what Michael, we're, please. I want to have our, our listeners, you know, really pay attention to this. Uh, it's from Desire of Ages, page 58. In the, fine, in the day of final judgment, every lost soul will understand the nature of his, or we'd say her own rejection of truth. The cross will be presented and its real bearing will be seen by every mind that has been blinded by transgression. Mm. And before the vision of Calvary with its mysterious victims, uh, victims, singular, as Jesus, obviously, sinners will stand condemned. Every lying excuse will be swept away. Human apostasy will appear in its heinous character. Mm. Men will see what their choices have been. Every question of truth and error in the longstanding controversy will then have been made plain. And in the judgment of the universe, God will stand clear of blame for the existence or continuance of evil. Mm. It will be demonstrated that the divine decrees are not accessory to sin. There was no defect in God's government and no cause for disaffection. And when the thoughts of all hearts shall be reviewed, both the loyal and the rebellious will unite in declaring just and true are thy ways, thou king of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thy judgments are made manifest. Amen. Amen. So beautiful, beautiful quote. I think that just kind of brings it home, brings it all together here. Full circle. Today. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, Michael. And I hope we can find solstice in the fact that we have solstice in Christ. Absolutely. By the way, if anyone missed the announcement last week, our podcast is going to be moving over to the Adventist Learning Community, ALC. Um, I believe our links should all stay the same. So if you've subscribed to this and and wherever you like to listen to podcasts, it should continue working. But but our official sponsors host will be through the North American Division, through the Adventist Learning Community. Special thanks to uh, Adam and the rest of his team at ALC for uh, helping to make that possible. Amen. Thank you guys so much. And thank you, Michael. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I think we put a wrap for another week. So uh, this is uh, Soup. And Swoops. Signing, signing out. out. As we put a wrap on this week's lesson, this is Campbell Swoops signing off. By the way, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Southwestern Union of Seventh-day Adventists and Southwestern Adventist University, which has for over 125 years provided a Christ-centered education just 20 minutes south of Fort Worth, Texas. We love teaching with personal colleagues, offer quality academics, and provide numerous ways to get involved both on campus and across the globe. To learn more, visit swahu.edu or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to join us again next week as we continue to explore God's Word. You can make sure not to miss an episode by joining us at sabbathschoolrescue.org.